The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We carry on through our day as if everything is just fine. But for many of us, it's merely a mask covering up all the emotion simmering just under the surface. Welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership with Shamin Sadiq. In this program, you'll hear from others who face the same adversities in life as the rest of us. But these individuals have redirected their energies to creating extraordinary ideas and concepts. Find out what they are and what's behind the motive. Now, here is your host, Shamin Sadiq. Hello and welcome to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm your host, Shamin Sadiq, and you're listening to us today on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The topic for today is worry, an unnecessary addiction. This topic rings really near and dear to my heart and very true for me. I was reflecting recently on my life stance, if you like, throughout my life. And it has been one of worry. Now, I'm in the process of shifting that, and I think I have been over the past few years, but I'm not quite done with it yet. And what I'm noticing about myself is that my tendency is to go to what is wrong, what is not working out, what is going to happen that is so bad, or what could happen that is so awful, as opposed to focusing on hope and what's present and Gratitude. Now, you've heard me over the last year on Stories from the Heart of Leadership talking about hope and, and faith and, and positivity, and you know that that too is part of who I am. And in, indeed, um, I've been really focusing my attention and my energy on bringing that to the forefront in my work and in my life over the past years. But old habits die hard. And so it's not that worry is something that is all-consuming and with me all the time these days. But it is that um, a noticing that I have about it, that it is sort of my go-to. It's my first go-to. Now, I'm faster today at saying, oh, look at me worrying about all the things that could happen. Or, oh, look at me focusing on all the negative. And then I quickly you know, come back to myself and focus on, on things that I have to be grateful for and the positives and, and all of the hope and faith that I have. But it's just interesting to notice that this is sort of a tendency that has been with me for a long time. I was reflecting on a day a few years ago when I went to a program uh, that was had a body scan a component to it. So we were asked to scan our bodies. And, and what I mean by that was we were asked to, to close our eyes and to just really check in with our bodies and notice from the top to the bottom whatever it is that caught our attention. What did we notice as we scanned from the top of our head down through our face and neck and shoulders, uh, the tops of our chests, the sides and the back of the chest, all the way down to the upper abdominals, through the abdominals, and into the hips and pelvis and 
down through the legs, knees, lower legs, ankles, and feet. And just to sort of take a baseline of what we noticed about our bodies as we took our awareness and scanned down from the top to the bottom. So you can even do that using uh, uh, what I just said. You could replay that if you're listening to this later and just scan your own body and notice what you notice. So I was asked to do this in this program that I was part of. And then we were given a sheet of paper that had a, a, a diagram of a body on it, just, you know, sort of a stick figure. And we were asked to note what we noticed in a drawing on this body. So I was noting all the places where I felt pain. So I was drawing red squiggles and black dots and, and you know, just wherever I noticed a pain was where I was, I was noting on this piece of paper on this diagram that this is where I felt the pain. And then we were invited to share. And I listened to some of the others in the group and and they showed their pictures and, and shared their experience. And I was shocked because so many people were focusing on light and yellow and white light and how good it felt here and how comfortable they felt there and how their shoulders felt. And, and, and everything that I was hearing was so focused on the positive that when it was my turn, I said, well, I'm quite amazed that my picture looks like this. And I showed my picture with its red dots and black lines. And I said, I noted all the places where I'm in pain. And the instructor, the facilitator, her name is Suzanne Skurlock Durana. And if you ever have the chance to take a program with her, I highly recommend it because she's awesome. She totally rocks. She's in the D.C. area. For those of you who live near that area and can, can avail yourself of her, just Google her name. I'll spell it for you in a moment. But she said to me, I wonder if it's cultural. And that was she, that was her first response to me when I said that this is what I noticed. And I started to reflect on my culture. And so cultural, I'll, I'll take that word to mean family culture, um, uh, national culture, uh, societal culture. I'll take that in many different layers and let's take a look at it. Uh, but her name just for you, if you want to find her, is Suzanne, and her last name is Skurlock Durana. It's S-C-U-R-L-O-C-K-D-U-R-A-N-A. So just Google her, and if you can take a program with her, I highly recommend it. So this was a, an aha for me to notice that my tendency is to focus on the negative. Now, the thing about that that was a bit alarming at that time is that my profession, as you know, is... Uh, leadership consulting and executive coaching and working with people to uncover their gifts and offer their gifts. And it's all about possibility and, and positivity and faith and hope and um, making things better. So I was a bit alarmed that this was the way that I tend to focus, but I've come into a kind of a peace with it since then. And the peace I'm at with it now is that we need both. We need to focus on strengths. We need to focus on where things are good. And certainly a daily gratitude practice is a very powerful thing. And if you don't do this daily, uh, please start. And I, I continue to dabble with this. I can't say that I do it in writing every day, but every day I do 
name something at least during the day that I am grateful for. But some people like to write in a journal every day three things that they're grateful for. And I think that's a wonderful practice. If, if it's something that you want to take on, go for it. So we need to focus on the positive. We need to focus on what there is to be grateful for. We need to focus on our strengths and turn up the volume on those strengths for sure. Build on them, grow them, add to them, yes. And we need to focus on what's getting in our way. And so perhaps my instinctive focus on the negative first, or the challenge, or the problem, or what's in the way, is a bit of a blessing for me, because I'm not afraid to look at what isn't working as well. So I'm taking it as a gift, and I'm taking it with a grain of salt, and I'm noticing that it's still my tendency, and that I'm quicker now at uh, changing my focus to the positive, but I don't need to neglect the negative either. And I think this is part of finding this middle way that we've been talking about over the past weeks, finding the place in between one extreme or the other. So it's not all negative, it's not all positive. Either of those would be a bit extreme and not so useful. Something is available in the middle and it includes having access to both. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, And I notice that it's still my go-to. My primary go-to is what is wrong. So I was thinking about, I wanted to share with you some of the, the ways in which I worry. And I've named this episode Worry an Unnecessary Addiction because I believe that I am addicted to that worrying. I think that many people I know are addicted to it. And I also want to talk about it in terms of the layers of culture that I was referencing earlier. So first layer of culture is my my culture, my heritage is Indian. So my family um, comes from India originally, way, way back. And my parents were born in India, and then they came to Canada, and I was born here. And my background is, is Christian, so my family is a Christian family. So we have Christian ideals and culture. We have an Indian cultural heritage. I was born in Canada where... Um, we're very nice, very positive, very um, uh, don't like conflict here. We like to sort of skate on the surface sometimes of things. And we're just known as a as generally a peaceful sort of nation. So these are some of the layers of culture that I have. So when Suzanne said, I wonder if it's cultural, my first go-to was, I wonder if it's Indian. I wonder if there's something in in India that, or in my Indian family anyway, I can't generalize for the whole country because I I can't claim really to know it at all. I only know the little slice that I have a view into, which is my own family. So I asked my mom recently what she thought about this. And she said to me, I think that Indians are perfectionists. She said, I think in our culture, we're taught to be very perfect and to do things very, very well. And nobody wants to be, um, you know, I think there's a lot of competition for for jobs and, and um, senior positions and good professions to get into the best schools. There are a lot of people in India and so the competition is fierce. And so we are driven by, we're very driven and driven by a desire to do really well. And she thinks that that, she said that maybe that is where this need to focus on what's wrong and fix it um, is part of our culture. 
I was thinking about culture in terms of family culture as well. So this has less to do with nationality and more to do with just how it is in your family. And for a moment, just reflect on your own family and notice what were the kinds of conversations that you heard growing up when you were sitting at the table at dinner or not (laughs) sitting at the table at dinner what did your parents and your siblings and your grandparents talk about? What was the focus or the, the context and what was the frame that people were looking through? Was it glass half empty? Was it glass half full? Just see if you can tap into your family culture and notice what that was like. So for me, I think that my family was um, having some difficulty when I was little. My parents separated and divorced when I was very young. And this was in the 1970s when divorce was not as prevalent as it is today. I was reading a statistic that said um, 50% of couples are divorced or separated now. And in those days, I'm sure the percentage was a lot less. So my family had a bit of a tumultuous time. It was a difficult challenge for my parents to navigate divorce. I don't think that they had the supports in the societal culture to help them navigate well. And in fact, in a future show, I'd like to talk about navigating the end of relationship and and ways of doing it well and ways of doing it not so well. But anyway, they didn't have what they, uh, the kinds of supports that are available today. And so it was a very tumultuous time. And I, I think that part of my focus on worry and negativity and what is wrong may also come from living through that as a young person. I grew up in a home with, um, I ended up living with my dad as I was uh, living through my teenage years, growing through my teenage years, and he was married to um, someone who he's not married to anymore, who was extremely negative, very, very negative, very self-centered, and very much a person who I think she was doing the best she could, but really couldn't cope with the stress of having three kids, two of whom were not her own. And though my heart goes out to her because I know I have a little taste of what it's like to try and blend families, uh, I also have to say that the, the example was negative. Uh, the conversations at our dinner table were usually about what was wrong, not about what was right. And so I just didn't grow up with that kind of modeling around me. Um, I was rewarded as well at school for doing really well. So I happened to be one of these very smart kids who was good at school. I was good at math. I was good at science. I was pretty much good at every subject, which made me the teacher's favorite, but not so popular with the other kids. And also, I engaged in everything that school had to offer. I played sports. I was in the band, I was in the plays, I was on the student council, Um, I really took everything that school had to offer and got involved. I don't remember having a huge passion about anything in particular, but I do remember that my orientation was I need to be the best. So back to what my mom was saying about our Indian culture, I think that was very present in me in my younger years. And so I I got rewarded for that. I was rewarded for doing well. When I got, you know, 100% and brought those tests home with 100%, my parents were happy, my teachers were pleased with me, and I got rewarded for this. So uh, I remember a lot of doubt, a lot of worry when I was studying for tests, a lot of concern about not being the best. And that drove me to work really, really hard to make sure that I was. 
So you can see that this addiction to worry has its roots way far back in my lifetime and probably in the lifetime of my ancestors. Now, as I'm saying this, I have a smile on my face because there are good things about this too. I'm committed. I'm driven. I focus on, I'm committed to things I decide to focus on. And if there's something I really want, I will work at it until I get it. Um, I was thinking about, I used to be a skydiver. I can't, I can't remember whether I've ever mentioned this on Stories from the Heart of Leadership before or not, but I spent quite a few years in the sport of skydiving, and I was the person that was the most scared to jump out of the plane without, my, the, without the assistance of my instructor. It took me, I don't know, 10 times longer than it took anybody else, 10 times as many jumps to be comfortable with this as any of my colleagues or, or um, compadres in my skydiving career. So other people were shooting way ahead of me, uh, getting far ahead in their progression, and I was stuck at the free fall by yourself stage for about 40 jumps, which is really a long time. But I knew I wanted it. I, I was very clear this was something that I wanted, and so I stuck with it until I got it. And I'm happy that I did. I jumped for many years. Uh, I've in, done a lot of different kinds of skydiving. It was a lot of fun. It's not my current reality anymore. I have other things that give me that satisfaction, but that was a big part of my life for many years, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So this worry and commitment to perfection has inherent in it the gift of commitment, the the gift of perseverance, and that is something that I'm grateful for. Well, I think it's time for a short break. Let's do that, and when we come back, we'll talk more about worry and the unnecessary addiction that it represents. This is Stories from the Heart of Leadership, and I'm Shamin Sadiq. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When you think of inspiring women, who comes to mind? Is it a visionary like Oprah Winfrey? Political or legal figures like Hillary Clinton or Sonia Sotomayor? Or how about entrepreneurial business leaders like Meg Whitman? No matter whom you might be thinking of, make sure to add one more to that list. Deanne DeMarco. She's the host of Today's Inspiring Women. Each week, Deanne turns you on to the next rising star in business and leadership and what their successes and challenges have been. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. What makes you a success? Is it your business or career? Is it your family and social life? How do you achieve the next level in your success? Tune in to Infinite Success Radio with host Rachel O'Brien Eddy. Rachel and her amazing guests are here to encourage, inspire, and empower you to take control of your destiny and achieve the level of success you were born to reach. How do ordinary people become extraordinary? 
find out with Infinite Success Radio, broadcasting live every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shameen an email. Her email address is shameen at anjalileadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. This is Shameen Sadiq, your host, and our topic today is worry, an unnecessary addiction. So I've been talking about worry with a bit of a smile on my face because I know that, A, I'm not engulfed with worry at this moment, so it's easier to smile and talk about it right now. Um, B, I'm getting better at noticing that I'm worrying and stopping myself from worrying or choosing to focus on something else other than the worry. And C, because I love this topic. I I love talking about what people um, are sometimes afraid to talk about. I think it's very challenging in today's uber competitive world to acknowledge our weaknesses or the things that get in our way. And this is indeed part of the gift of worry for me is because I'm so uh, good at it, I'm not afraid to talk about it either. So that's why I'm smiling as I speak, if you can hear the smile in my voice. Last time I talked to you about a great book that I'm reading. It's called Take Your Time, The Wisdom of Slowing Down, How to Find Peace and Purpose in Your Life. The author is Eknath Iswaran, and I'll spell the name. It's E-K-N-A-T-H, and the last name is E-A-S-W-A-R-A-N. In a couple weeks, I'll be taking a creative writing and meditation program at the University of Toronto. It's a four-day program, and I'm very excited to take four days out of my uh, busy life to sit down and get quiet with myself and actually focus my attention on some writing that I've been um, very eager to pick up and continue with. Anyway, I, one of the things that I worried, uh, that I noticed, I wasn't worried, I was noticing as I read this book, it's a fabulous book, if you can pick it up and, and read it, I highly recommend it, is um, one of the things that the author says is that energy out of control has two characteristics, hurry and worry. And as I read that, I thought, oh, that's so right. That's so me. I have those two characteristics and I swing between the two of them. And they're so unnecessary. So here's what I noticed. I I think I've told you before that about three, oh my goodness, three and a half years ago now, time really flies, I separated from my husband and I bought him out of our house and I took over the entire mortgage myself and it's not a small mortgage. Any of you who live in the greater Toronto area know the cost of housing here is very high 
And I'm a sole proprietor. I'm any money that I make is is money that I've generated through my own efforts. So it's not um, like I have a job where I just have to show up and someone hands over a salary. So it's challenging, really challenging. And I have two boys, and they require a lot of uh, attention, energy, stuff, food, so on and so forth. So for the first year after my ex moved out. I was consumed with worry daily. Every day I woke up and my first thought was, when am I going to lose this house? How long will I be able to keep this house? Surely I'm going to lose this house. And that was my my waking thought and that was my last thought of the day when I went to bed. Now, fortunately, I must have balanced that with some positive thoughts in between during the day. But it was in those quiet moments that the doubt took over and the worry took over. About a year after he, he left, I one day woke up and I noticed, oh my goodness, I wondered, the same, one, the same worry came up, when am I going to lose this house? And then I suddenly said, hey, it's been about a year since he left and I haven't lost it yet. So I spent the next year saying to myself daily, pretty cool, I haven't lost it yet. So I was somewhere along the spectrum from worry to peace, I suppose, but not quite all the way at peace. I was more thanking, thanking myself and thanking my life for bringing me into the ability to not lose it. So still kind of a negative orientation you can hear, right? It's not about acknowledging how great it is. It's more about being grateful that I haven't lost it yet. Uh, so not worrying daily about losing it, but just sort of noticing that I hadn't lost it. And in the third year, I stopped thinking either of those two thoughts on a daily basis, and it became more of a fleeting thought that came from time to time. But what I began to focus on in the third year was a different um, statement to myself, which was, I have done really well. Wow, look at what I've been able to do, and this is something to be grateful for, this is something to be thankful for, and something to celebrate. Um, wow, look at this. So I'm at the point now where it's been about three and a half years. I'm about to renew my mortgage because the five-year term has come up. And so it's, it's raising all of the same doubts and concerns. But I keep reminding myself to look at what's true. And what's true is I'm still here. I've made every payment. I've been able to make it happen. And I am now offering this to you, the worry did not help me one bit. So I was still making the payments, I was still keeping up with the mortgage and all the expenses, but the worry was this unnecessary thing that was just weighing me down. Imagine how much energy would be liberated if every morning and every night I didn't worry about that. If I actually focused on being grateful for what was happening or for even just being present to that particular moment and being grateful for all the abundance that I lived in, you know, at any given moment. So that worry didn't didn't add anything. It didn't make it any better. It didn't make it any easier and I don't actually think it even changed the outcome. So I think at the time though, I used the worry as a bit of motivation. We were talking in the first segment about how the gift in worry is commitment and focus and tenacity and and so on and so perseverance and so on. But I think that that worry was totally unnecessary. 
And I think that if I hadn't worried about it, I probably would have seen that the outcome would be the same. But my mind or my unconscious mind thought that by worrying about it, I was, I was actually going to change the outcome. But the outcome didn't change. I still have the house. I've made every payment and I'm in good standing and, and life carries on. So I want to translate this to today. Sometimes I worry about what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or if this proposal isn't uh, approved or accepted by a client and you know I worry about where's the money going to come from and any of you who are self-employed and have your own uh, practice whatever your practice is you know what I'm talking about this is a normal thing to think about especially when you're so busy working in your business that you've neglected working on your business which is where I am at this moment but I'm making a shift and focusing more on it so that I can work in it and work smarter and I can build it. And so that's what I'm, I'm focused on at this moment, but the worry still comes up. So when I told you at the beginning of the show that my go-to is to worry, yes, here's another example of where it is. So when I was reading this book, Take Your Time, that I've been telling you about, one of the things that the author points out is that this worry doesn't actually help and neither does the hurry. And I think I've been swinging between these two things, um, like like a pendulum, really. And what I want to do is slow this pendulum down a bit so I don't have to swing quite as far out to the extremes. And maybe I can occupy more of the middle spaces. And the middle spaces, I think, are occupied by a couple of things. One is breathing, slowing it down, slowing things down, being present, and second is focusing on what's here at this moment. What, what is happening right in this moment? In reading this book, it really illuminated for me how much of my life is spent either in the past or in the future. So all this worry is about something that hasn't happened yet, but I think might happen, right? I might not be able to pay the mortgage or I might not be able to uh, continue running the business because I might not have enough clients. These are things that are in the future. They're not the current, they're not the current reality at all. It's something that might happen that I'm afraid of. Or I might be in the hurry. Um, I might be in the frenetic activity. Have you ever played this game? I play it all the time. Not, well, I don't play it all the time these days, but I have played it all the time in the past. And it is that of, I call it beat the clock. There's a game called beat the clock that I think we humans play with ourselves when we get consumed with the hurry side of this spectrum, this hurry worry spectrum. Let's call it the spectrum of peace. Peace is somewhere in the middle places, but at either ends of it, we're either in hurry or worry. And when I'm hurrying, I'm playing beat the clock. And in beat the clock, what I'm trying to do is cram as many things on my to-do list into the shortest time possible that I can. Beat the clock is a costly game. I played it when I was a new mom, a new mom of my, well, not new mom, but early in my days as a mom. I had I had two kids. One was, well, older son was three and a half or almost four, and the younger one was just a few months old. And I was playing beat the clock. We were living at my parents' place for a short time because my ex, was, who was my husband at the time, was renovating our kitchen. And we knew that in order to do this massive kitchen renovation, we weren't going to have access to the kitchen for about six weeks. So we asked my folks if we could stay with them. 
if I could stay with them with the two kids while he stayed here and completed the renovation of the kitchen. And they said, sure, no problem. So they lived in a small house. The three of us lived in their basement for those six weeks, which stretched into about 10 weeks, as all renovations tend to do. And I had to take uh, the older one to school every morning, which was back closer to where I lived. So I was driving a long way every morning. I couldn't leave the baby at home because we, we had to leave too early and my parents were not available at that time to help me with him. So I had to take the baby and the little one my, and my older son, drop him at school, come back, then we would do whatever we needed to do that day, and then we would go and pick him up again at the end of the school day. And, you know, the school day is short. It starts at 9. It ends at um, 3.30 or so or 3.15. So there was a lot of driving that was happening. Well, one day I had to go to an appointment uh, with someone that I was going to see for myself. I can't remember what it was, but there was a need to be somewhere at a certain time. And I was playing beat the clock, and I was feeling quite good about it because I was beating the clock. I was going to leave on time. Everything was going to be great. I was on my way. Uh, I had completed all the things I needed to complete. And any of you who have little kids know what you have to do. You've got to feed the baby. You've got to change the baby. You've got to change the baby's clothes because he's just thrown up all over <laughs> the clothes that he was wearing. And then you've got to make sure that you eat something so that you don't conk out along the way and then run to the car with the baby in the basket and stick it in the car and go. Or get on public transportation or whatever your mode of transportation is to make it to your appointment on time. I can feel my heart beating faster as I start talking about it. I can feel the energy of hurry and this um, costly game of beat the clock. So here's why it was costly for me. I took the baby outside and I turned to lock the front door and I had put the baby in the stroller. My intention was to walk the stroller to the car and then to... Put, take the baby out of the stroller, put him in the car, and then put the stroller in the back of the car as we left. But I hadn't put his seatbelt on, nor had I put the brake on the um, stroller. So at the top of the stairs, I turned to lock the door. And when I turned, my bag nudged the stroller, which subsequently went down three stairs, flipped over, and tossed my baby out where he landed on a stone pavement. His head swelled up. Um, he was silent for the first few moments and I screamed because I was so terrified that something tragic had happened. Um, picked him up, took him inside. He started crying and the long and short of it is he's fine. He's 10 years old now. So, you know, no permanent damage done, but he had a concussion and we ended up spending three days in the hospital, mainly because he was dehydrated because he couldn't keep anything in his system. His head was swollen and he kept throwing up from the pressure. It was a very, very frightening scenario, situation, and experience. And it was the end of, or the beginning of the end of my playing Beat the Clock, at least playing it in that sort of way. So that's what hurry has done for me. Um, it sh that incident really showed me how my need to get all these things done and to feel good that they were getting done had me rushing, had me not present. I was not aware of, you know, um, safety things that I needed to be aware of, like putting the brake on the stroller and belting him in with his seatbelt. And I'm lucky, and he's lucky. Um, and I was uh, very much slower after that with him and with our daily life. 
as a result. Did it translate well to the present? Not always. I tend not to play beat the clock with other people's lives anymore. I tend to play it more with my own. But I notice I'm playing it less and less and less because that's an extreme example of the cost of it. But there are other costs too. Overwhelm, exhaustion, uh, missing things, not doing my work very well, not serving my clients very well. And certainly, last but not least, not being present with my own children in a not so dramatic way, just noticing that my busyness sometimes has them come second. And that isn't my intention for me with my family at all. So two sides of the spectrum of peace, worry, totally unnecessary, not helpful and doesn't add anything, and hurry, dangerous, costly, very, very costly. So what is the answer? What do these extremes have to offer that we could take to the middle? When we come back, we'll talk more about worry and unnecessary addiction on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm Shamin Sadiq. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Experiencing loss or grief can be devastating. At some point, our soul compels us to embrace and embark on the journey to healing. But how do we begin? How do we move forward? Tune in to A Light for the Soul That Weeps with host Dayton Ann Williams. This program serves as your light, your forum, your passageway. Although healing is an inward journey, you are not alone. We can walk the path together. Join us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you're looking for tips for personal success, look no further than DJ and the Bear, keeping you at the top of your game with your hosts, leadership and personal effectiveness consultant, Dietta Jones and Richard Dent, formerly of the champion Chicago Bears. Together as a husband and wife team, they've raised a family, owned two successful businesses, led major philanthropic initiatives through their foundation, and lived the ultimate lifestyle. Find out their secrets. Listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. If you have a question or comment, or just want to find out more about our program, please send Shamin an email. Her email address is shamin at anjaliLeadership.com. That's S-H-A-H-M-E-E-N at A-N-J-A-L-I Leadership.com. Now, back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. 
Welcome back to Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Our topic today is worry, an unnecessary addiction. Before we jump right in, I want to talk about a couple of upcoming events, and I also want to acknowledge some of my sponsors. So let's start with the sponsors. That's that's a fun thing to do, is to talk about Jim Anderson and Dan Holden, who are two sponsors of mine, who have been sponsors of my efforts since the very beginning of Stories from the Heart of Leadership. One day, Jim called me up and he said, I just listened to your show, and he said, is anyone listening to what you're doing? And I said, what do you mean? And I was a little bit alarmed. What do you mean? Is anybody listening? I hope someone's listening. And I know that there are many of you who listen. But what he said was, you have such a message of hope. It's so different from a lot of the other messages that are out there on the radio. And I want to continue to support you. And the next time I saw him, he gave me another uh, bit of sponsorship. So he and Dan have been true champions of me and the show for quite a long time. And I want to acknowledge them here. Jim, you can find at fit2lead.com. That's F-I-T. T-O-L-E-A-D.com. And Dan, you can find at DanielHoldenAssociates.com. So these are two of my colleagues who have been um, dear friends as well as supporters along the way. And I'm so, so grateful for their sponsorship. So upcoming events are... In Toronto, I will be teaching the Leadership Circle Profile Certification on April 15th to 17th. Now, that's really soon. So if you haven't registered and you want to, get on top of it right away. Go to theleadershipcircle.com and ask someone to get back to you right away about this particular training. If you live in Toronto and you haven't availed yourself of this certification, I highly recommend that you check it out. If you are an executive coach or a leadership consultant, um, human resources or organizational development professional, professional or a learning and development professional, this is for you. There are three It's a suite of three powerful assessments to enable you to guide your leader, your clients who are leaders to greater effectiveness. So teaching it here in Toronto on April 15th to 17th, I'm teaching it in the DC area on June 10th to 12th. These are all the 2015 dates. And in Denver, I'm teaching September 30th to October 2nd. There are other locations and dates where this will be taught around the globe. So go to theleadershipcircle.com to find out where. If if these three locations are not convenient for you but you want to take it, I'm sure you can find something close by. Uh, The other thing I want you to know about is on April 21st to 23rd, 2015, we have our leadership system certification happening here in Toronto. Now, this is really, really great news. If you are part of the Leadership Circle community and you have been reading about the leadership system certification, this is an opportunity to come, especially if you're in the Toronto area, to come and avail yourself of this right here at home. It's going to be taught by Bill Adams, and uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. I took this training myself last year at the beginning of the year, 2014, and it has added so much to my practice. I think the, the biggest thing I could say about this is that it gives you a chance to take everything that is part of the powerful Leadership Circle framework... And put it into action with your clients in a consistent, 
and resonant and aligned way. So every piece of this system aligns with some dimension on the top side of the leadership circle. And if you know what the leadership circle is, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you don't, come and get certified on April 15th to 17th, and then come and join us for the leadership system certification the following week. Uh, That's my invitation to you, and I hope you'll join us. Again, for any of those trainings, go to theleadershipcircle.com for more information and to register. Okay, enough about that. Let's come back to our topic of worry and unnecessary addiction. We were talking about the spectrum of peace, which, by the way, I just made up in the moment when I said it in the last segment. So I'm, if that's somebody's um, terminology, I, I thank you for, for being willing to share it because it's, it's just a way of talking about this that is resonating with me in this moment. The spectrum of peace. So if hurry is on one side and games like beat the clock, worry is on the other side, which is just an unnecessary um, waste of energy, there's got to be something in the middle. So I want to look at what worry and hurry have to offer and then talk about how to find the middle places. And as I'm sharing this with you, I want you to know two things. One is I'm a work in progress and I'm still finding this middle space. And two, um, I'm, I'm sharing what's coming up in the present moment with me. So I, I don't have any um, monopoly on ways to find the middle, and I'm certainly not the originator of everything that I'm talking about. But what I'm sharing with you is anything that's been useful to me that I've found along the way. And that's why I like to share poetry. I like to share books I'm reading. I like to share concepts that other people have shared with me that resonate. And I feel like when I piece these things together and put them into practice in my own life, they are very useful. And when they are useful, then I want to share them with you because if they're useful to me, perhaps they'll be useful to you too. And if they are, that's great. And if they're not, that's okay. Um, uh, Find something else that is. I'm not attached to you taking on anything that I have shared if it doesn't work for you. So take what's useful and leave the rest. So I was looking for a poem at the break to share with you that might help to talk about the journey from the extremes on the spectrum of peace to the middle or something in the middle spaces. Uh, The gift in the hurry is this gift of um, drive. I think what's behind games like Beat the Clock is a desire to to produce, to, to make things happen, to finish things. And if you're the kind of person who likes to start things but not finish them, you could probably use a little bit of that energy to complement uh, your style. On the worry side is a bit of a frozen feeling, like I can't do anything, nothing I do is going to make any difference. The gift in that is probably the gift of being quiet or being able to, um, I don't know, stay in the present moment uh, a little bit. It Worry is often about the future or the past, but at least there's an acknowledgement of the um, dark side, I guess, that is present. If you're able to worry, then maybe you're able to be with worry, and that's not entirely a bad thing. So those are some of the things that those extremes have to offer, but it's about putting them into practice in the middle. And I want to share a piece by Portia Nelson, P-O-R-T-I-A, Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N. So I'm sure you can Google this one. It's called Autobiography in Five Chapters. And here's what she says. Chapter 1. I walk down the street. 
There is a huge hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. Hopeless. It's not my fault. It takes forever to get out. Chapter 2 I walk down the same street. There is a huge hole in the sidewalk. I pretend that I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe that I'm in the same place again. But it's not my fault. Still, it takes me a long time to get out. Chapter 3 I walk down the same street. There is a huge hole in the sidewalk. I see it. Still, I fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are wide open. Already I know where I am. It's my fault. I climb out quickly. Chapter 4 I walk down the same street. There is a huge hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5 I walk down a different street. So for me, this piece by Portia Nelson called Autobiography in Five Chapters, which I've just shared with you, is very, very meaningful in terms of where, what the journey or the process is to find these middle spaces. So the first one is sort of the ignorance is bliss. <laughs> um, I walk down the street, I fall in the hole, I'm lost, it's not my fault. You know, why, why did I, I, I don't even know how I ended up here. It's got something to do with someone else. Those people who dug the hole, they shouldn't have dug it here. And, you know, blaming everybody else um, except myself for falling into this hole. And a lot of us, you know, on many on many um, items or situations in our life, operate this way. We just, you know, don't see it, don't understand that we have anything to do with it, and completely believe that whatever happens to us is because of someone else. The second chapter is about um, knowing that there's a hole there, falling in it anyway, and then um, wondering why am I here again, and. I hear myself saying that a lot, actually. I can't believe I'm here again. I can't believe I'm looking at this again. So when I was thinking about worry and what an unnecessary addiction it is, I was thinking about it because I'm, I'm, I'm currently worried. Worried about, you know, what does the year have in store for me? Will there be enough work? And then I say, wow, here I am again, you know, in that place of worry that doesn't serve me, just doesn't serve me very well at all. But the third chapter is where we see the hole, and although we might fall in, we can quickly get out. And I think it's a triumph of development to get from chapter 2 to chapter 3. If we can actually see where we get in our own way, where those holes are, and even if we fall in, we can climb out quickly. We can acknowledge when we fall into old habits, old patterns, and not useful ways of operating that um, we've done this to ourselves, then it's easier to choose something else. So between chapters two and three, I think it's a triumph to get there. I think it's a lifetime of work to get there. And I think it's, it's incredibly hopeful if you can get there. And what I notice myself is, yeah, I'm worried about what's coming up this year. But as soon as I start to worry about that, I remind myself that that's not useful, that that's an old pattern grounded in many, many years of worry and cultivating worry uh, that doesn't serve me anymore. So I climb out quickly. How do you climb out? You climb out by focusing on what really matters. And you know what really matters to me is that whatever I'm up to, that I'm present with it. And I'm not perfect at this. That's 
what I really want you to hear is I'm not perfect at this, but I'm getting better at it. I want to be present to whatever I'm doing when I'm doing it. And I am starting to feel what it feels like when I'm not. I notice the disappointed look on a child's face when I choose to check my email in the middle of a conversation that we're having. I notice how they go away and um, find something else to do because they've kind of given up and they know that mom's not present. And I've been shifting that. I've been trying to put some, I've been putting some boundaries around it. I've been saying to myself, okay, for the next 10 minutes, I will do my work. I have 10 minutes of work to do. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to play with my son. And I'll tell him, you know, I'm going to, mommy's going to work on this for 10 minutes. And then we can go outside and play. But then I have to do it. I have to honor my commitment. That's what I mean by being present. It doesn't mean that I'm going to put everything to the side and focus only on work or that I'm going to put everything to the side and focus only on my kids. It's about being present and keeping my promises. And if I commit to him that in 10 minutes I'm going to play with him, then my practice lately has been put the timer on for 10 minutes. At 10 minutes I stop, I put on my boots and I go outside and we play in the ice and snow, which is thankfully melting today. So that's, I think, a practice for um, working with chapter three. Chapter four, you walk down the same street, walk around the hole instead of falling into it. And that's what comes um, as a result of this practice is there's the hole. I'm not even falling into it this time. And then number five, chapter five, I walk down a different street. Maybe there's another way. I haven't found a different street yet with uh, some of the things that I've been sharing with you. I haven't found a new street to walk down, but I think that when I do, my sense is that then um, there'll be something new to look at. There'll be another hole to fall into on something else. And that this will become, um, in terms of this particular hole and this particular street, the one of worry and hurry, uh, I think that when I get to chapter five, then I won't need to talk about it anymore. It won't be such an issue for me anymore. And I look forward to that day, and I'm not there yet. So I invite you to consider how you can find the middle ground with this process. And the process really is paying attention. Paying attention taking responsibility, keeping your promises, or making promises and then keeping them, and continuing to hold yourself with compassion as you engage in this process until one day you walk down a different street. That's my hope for me. That's my hope for you. And I'll leave you with this to simmer in your soup pot between this show and the next time we meet, is what what would that be like? What would it be like to actually take this process and put it into practice? Just choose one thing. Choose one place in your life. If it's on the hurry, worry spectrum of peace, um, then, then find a place to play with it there and just experiment. Or maybe it's on something, uh, else altogether that has nothing to do with hurry or worry or peacefulness. But take the opportunity to put this into practice and just do it, treat it as an experiment. I don't know how it's going to turn out for you. I hope it will be useful. And for me, I continue to play with it and see what happens. One of the things I can tell you is my son told me the other day, he said, Mommy, when you practice yoga, which is part of how I quiet my mind, you're much nicer. 
you're much easier to get along with. And I thought, wow, out of the mouths of babes, thank goodness he's brave enough to tell me the truth. And what a great acknowledgement for the power of just slowing things down and being present with myself. And yoga is one of the ways that I do that. Another way is to meditate, and I've shared that with you in previous shows, and we'll keep doing that together as the weeks go on. So I thank you for listening and for being with me today on Stories from the Heart of Leadership. I'm Shamin Sadiq. I look forward to the next time that we speak, and until then, take good care. Thank you so much for joining us today for Stories from the Heart of Leadership. Shamin Sadiq will be back next Monday with another extraordinary guest at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you'll come back as well. Have a terrific week. And remember, you are not alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.